one of our favorite subjects, and it's an identifier of the player, the football jersey. We're going to talk about it some more today with our friend Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com as he talks about jersey numbers coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal of a positive football history. And welcome to Tuesday. You know what it is. It's footballarchaeology.com day. And Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com is here to talk about another interesting tidbit he's had out recently. Tim, welcome back to the Pig Pen. Darren, how are you? Good to uh, good to see you, and I hope I've got your number tonight. <laughs> well, you definitely got my number. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the origin of that number is, but I think we're going to find out some origins of some player numbers. Yeah, you had a recent tidbit on that very subject, and it's something you know. Again, we we've talked about this before in other uh, episodes that we talked about some things that we just don't appreciate all the time. You know what the player number does on the jersey. You know, it's it's identifies uh, the player. It's sort of almost like their name. You know, for a lot of places, like when you yeah. see a, a number twelve out there on a New England jersey, you're probably thinking of Tom Brady uh, first thing. Uh, you know, or just but we associate that number with the player. Yeah, but it goes back into some things that are beyond that even, and uh, sure like to know that the origin origins of these player numbers are. Yeah, yeah. So, so some of this, this one, this, you know, I've written about the, the origins of player numbers a bunch of times in the past, and um, and but I was trying. Well, I was I did an article recently about the um, the hidden ball trick that that Carlisle executed against Harvard in 1903. And um, just in, in doing that research, reading an article, there was a, a comment made. And so just to kind of reset the stage on that, the, you know, what happened is that the um, Carlisle sewed, you know, brown patches on the front of their jerseys that matched the color of the ball. And, so that they could, you know, have their back who didn't get the ball or whomever else kind of hunch over, act like they're carrying the ball, and you know the defense would be confused. So, um, and and so then so they they did that, but then they also in that game, um, you know, they basically executed this play where there was a on the kickoff they were receiving. I think it was the second half kickoff, but anyway, so they're receiving the kickoff. They all, the Carlisle players go back to form a wedge and the the guy who gets the ball or, you know, who, who caught the ball, you know, kind of gathers in that web, web, the wedge and then stuffs the ball in the back under the shirt in the back of, you know, one of his teammates who had this elastic band 
at the bottom of his jersey. So the ball would stay there, you know, <laughs> under the shirt. And so then they then they boom, they all scatter in different directions. And this guy who's a was a guard or a tackle, who doesn't look like a guy who you would give the ball to, um, starts running upfield acting like he's gonna um block, you know, for one of his teammates. And so because he's acting like he's blocking all the Harvard guys are avoiding him. And he just takes off, runs down the field and scores a touchdown. So, you know, that's kind of everybody, you know, I'd been aware of that story and all that kind of thing. And he probably um, looked like a Quasimodo running down the field too. I'm that's, sure. <laughs> that's right. The guy had no idea what to do. <laughs> but one of the, there was a comment made in one of the articles about the game where the guy said, you know, the, the reporter said it, it would be great if, if all the players, if, if all the players had numbers, we would have known who this guy was as he's running down the field. And so I thought, okay, I'd never come across that before. Um, and this was a 1903 game. So it's just got me to go back one more time to look at, okay, when, when did, um, like I had previously come across Amos Alonzo Stagg calling for numbers in 1901. So two years before this Harvard Carlisle game. And I just figured, okay, I'll go one one more time. See, can I find anybody else mentioning player numbers? And so then I ended up finding a 1904 reference. And I'm sorry, an 1894 reference from the Harvard-Yale game where some guy along the sidelines must have been some influential alum who said that, you know, the players should be numbered. And his comment was, the average observer finds as much difference in individuals as in a flock of blackbirds. So <laughs> first time I heard that reference, but, you know, but the point was that, you know, you couldn't tell players apart half the time back then because they didn't have numbers. Um, you know, they, they all kind of, they, the nature of the game, everybody bunched together. It's just hard to tell who was who, you know, who got the ball, who advanced it, who made the tackle. So, you know, people then, you know, people like Stag started, you know, promoting using numbers. But the the challenge and the, the pushback that they got was people saying, you know, that there were basically three main challenges. One was they said, if you number the players, which they'd started to do in baseball, and I think it first actually occurred in, in rugby in like New Zealand. But if you number the players, then that promotes individualism. Football's a team sport, and so we don't want to promote individualism. So it's this idealistic argument. There was also, from a coaching standpoint, a lot of coaches said, I don't want to number my players because that makes it easier for scouts or for the opposing player to, to identify who is who and to quickly figure out, okay, this is Smith is their best running back. You got to watch out for Smith. You got to you know, make sure you know where Smith is lining up every play. Now that all seems kind of dumb. I mean, I get it, but especially from a, the opposing player standpoint, no one was wearing numbers on the front of their jerseys. It was only on their back. So the opposing players couldn't see them when they lined up anyways, you know, so, so that, you know, but that was, you know, that was really the main challenge. And then there was also, you know, people also would say, well, football is for, these college players, it's a college sport, you know, there's none of this pro stuff yet or very little of it. And so it's not for the fans. We don't want to change the game. We don't want to do things in the game to make fans happy. Everything should be to make the players happy. Now, you know, as money 
increasingly got involved in things and the fans were paying for the players. There, there's you know, professional to... marketers of the gridiron just yes. turning <laughs> off the podcast right now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but that was a very common sentiment. So anyways, so then it, um, you know, the, the, as far as I've been able to research the earliest game um, in which players have war numbers and it was, picture in the newspaper and I've published the picture a bunch of times was the 1905 Iowa State at Drake game for, on Thanksgiving Day and both teams uh, wore, wore numbers and then you know over the next four or five years Pitt as far as I know Pitt was the second team they like to claim they were the first because they ignored the, the Iowa State Drake game um, Wichita State in 1908 Pitt was the first team in 1909, as far as I can tell. They were the first team to wear them for all games. Because a lot of times a team would say, I'll wear them, but only if the opponent wears them. And Pitt was like, no, we're wearing them. Um, and part of their motivation was it allowed, allowed them to sell scorecards. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there was money involved in it, right? Right. <laughs> um, and then 1909, Michigan Marquette wore them. And then also the same year, Cincinnati at Tulane. For them, so those were, you know, as far as I know, those were the whatever six, seven earliest examples of teams and/or games where, where, uh, you know, players wore numbers. Yeah, you've uh, you've done a great job on uh, telling us and uh, of that, and like you said, you've had some a bunch of other posts on the numbers and some of the intricacies of them that uh, are very fascinating. We'll try to throw some of those links uh, in, into the Pigskin Dispatch on this episode, uh, so people can go back and enjoy some of that work with the the alpha numeral and all the other crazy uh, yeah Roman Roman numeral Roman numbers, numbers and four, yeah four digit numbers and all kinds right, of stuff. So we'll put some of those up too, so people going to enjoy it because there's a lot to do with the numbers on the jerseys and uh it's a lot of fun so we appreciate that you, you're doing that and doing that the research on it now you do research like each and every day on some aspect of football it's you have you're you know you're uh plucking things out of the air all over the place and and taking us on a wild ride and uh, so, you know sometimes you have some themes like these numbers but usually spare them apart but where can people enjoy uh your tidbits each day on uh, just go to footballarchaeology.com. Um, you can, can subscribe there. If you, if you subscribe, you'll get an email every night at seven o'clock Eastern uh, with that, you know, that day's episode. And, you know, there's people who read them five minutes after I publish them. There's other people who, you know, I can just tell by, you know, certain patterns that I can see in the data. Some people will like store them up and they read them on the weekend. So at least, you know, you have them. If, if you get the email, you have them. Otherwise, um, you can follow me on on Twitter, on Threads, or on the Substack platform. All right. Timothy P. Brown, footballarchaeology.com. We thank you very much, sir, for joining us here, and we will talk to you again next Tuesday. Very good. Thanks as always, Darren. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. 
Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.